I can see the herd of children heading out the door. If you have a young person from birth all the way to have recently completed second grade, we would invite them to head outside to go to Children's Church and to be a part of that. Of course, they are welcome here. No one has to, but we offer that and encourage you to participate in that. I'll also say by way of reminder, um, because you may not know this, but uh, we are tithes and offerings. We obviously do a collection of that. The plates are in the back by the, the doors. So as you feel led to give of your tithes and offerings, you can leave those in the plates at the back of the door. You can also do so online, believe it or not. Um, if you go to tunnelhill.org slash give, you can also give online. Um, we don't usually talk about that every Sunday here, but I just wanted to, to make you aware of that, that those are ways that you can give to the ministries of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church as well as and those even go beyond to the international mission field and all over the United States as well. We are continuing in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. Believe it or not, we have hit the month of June and we only just have a few more Sundays in the book of Deuteronomy before um, I head off to sabbatical and we get to hear um, the Lord speak through some other uh, speakers in the month of July. Today, we're going to take kind of a big jump and jump all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22 of Deuteronomy chapter 24. And uh, I want to ask you if you are able to please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this, it says, you shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord, your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien and for the orphan and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again, but it shall be for the alien and for the orphan and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Please be seated. As many of you know, I am a product of the 80s. Would not trade that for the world. I'm, I'm not technically a millennial. Some of you get the full millennial title. Um, I'm, I'm what they call a zenial, which means I'm old enough to remember life before the internet, but young enough to still know how to use it. I'm very proud of that fact, right, Liz? But as a product of the 80s, when I hear the word justice, I always think of the same thing. And if you know me, you probably know where I'm going. And when I hear the word justice, I always think of those Christopher Reeves Superman movies. Those are by far and away my favorite movies. I love them. I subject my poor children to them regularly. I don't care how bad the special effects may look today. Back then, they won an Oscar. So when I think of it, I'm always reminded of of kind of that scene where when I hear the word justice, I'm reminded of of that scene in the, in the movie Superman where, where, where Superman portrayed by Christopher Reeves, he, he goes and he, he meets with Lois Lane to kind of have an interview and explain who he is and where he came from. And in the midst of, of that exchange, Lois Lane finally asked the question. She says, why are you here? 
There must be a reason why, you're, why you've come here. And Superman replies, he says, I am here to fight for truth, justice, and the American way. And Lois Lane exclaims, she says, oh, I don't believe it. She says, you're going to be, you're going to go to battle with every politician in, in the country. And then he looks at her and he goes, Lois, I never lie. And that kind of became that, that thing that, that drilled into my brain of, of this is what justice is. And this is kind of the archetype of justice is this man that I knew as Superman and raised and had his action figures and cape and all of that stuff when I was a kid. And it left that impression on me that justice was something that heroes fight for. And that they put on their cape and they take off their glasses and they go and fight for truth and justice. Justice is something for superheroes in the comic books or those heroes of the past that we read about in our history books or in our biographies. But what is justice? The definition of justice, as we might find it in the dictionary, says it is the quality of being just, impartial, or fair. It is a principle or an ideal of just dealing and right action. In other words, justice is the act of doing and maintaining what is right in a fair and impartial manner. As we look to our text this morning, we are confronted with yet another command from God to the nation of Israel as they prepare for the promised land. And our passage begins with this, you shall not pervert the justice that is to an alien, an orphan, or take a widow's garment as pledge. In our passage, justice is not the work of a superhero or a civic leader, but it is the work of every person who wants to follow God. We see this command stated another way in the, the prophet Amos when he says that, that, that we are to hate evil and love good, that we are to establish justice at the city gates, and perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. The difference being between the, this verse in Deuteronomy and the next verse in Amos is that God is establishing justice in Israel at this point. And he is warning them, do not pervert justice once you come into the promised land. But justice, and the way I am explaining justice to you today, that is the standard. Don't change it. Unfortunately, that is exactly what Israel did. And by the time we get to Amos and we have, we have come to the place where the kingdoms are divided and, and, and soon to be no more, we see Amos say, the call of God through Amos is establish justice once again. But what about us today? How do we both establish and maintain justice in our life and in our community I think if we take some time and study this passage, we begin to see what God is talking about when he says, establish justice. <coughs> Here we go. <coughs> I'm going to make it, don't worry. <coughs> I want to start by laying some groundwork. And to do that, I want to look again at verse 18. 
It reads, but you shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you this today. I want you to notice how God begins with this statement, but he also ends with this statement. And this statement really lays the foundation and the groundwork for why God is telling Israel to do it at this time. When we look at this, he is calling to mind that which was came from the past. We may ask ourselves, why was it so important that Israel establish and maintain justice? And we find the answer is because they know what it feels like to endure injustice. God, we see that God consistently commands Israel to show justice specifically to, he talks about this word aliens. (coughs) Excuse me. That word aliens is going to mean a foreigner or immigrant. The idea being that the people that come into the nation of Israel come into their borders to live, even though they are not one of them. But also these, these widows and these orphans, and these represent a, a very specific thing to the nation of Israel, which these are the people who are most at risk of being taken advantage of. They're often viewed as the helpless in society. They don't really have rights. They, they don't have a claim to the covenant. Um, they don't have parents and family to, and husbands and all these things to kind of give them safety and security. <clears throat> and so these are people that are most likely to be abused. Because, and, and, and he, he tells them this because there was a time when they were that very thing. They were the immigrant. They were the foreigner. They were enslaved and abused in Egypt. And even to the point that the Egyptians were trying to kill them off. And so we see in this passage this rationale, and we see this throughout the Scripture, even in the the teachings of Jesus, that Israel was supposed to treat these people with justice and fairness because they know what it felt like to experience injustice and they shouldn't want to do that to somebody else. We see this even in Jesus as we go to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we read this. It says, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, you also do for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, this sounds familiar to us today. We call it the golden rule, right? And we learn that from from kindergarten on up, that we should do unto others as as you would have them do unto you. But what we don't always realize is that this golden rule is deeply rooted in covenant with God. Even we recognize that we, as followers of Jesus, are but strangers and exiles in the world. And we ought to treat others the way we want to be treated. We are reminded in all of this, this is a a thing that, that is so easy for us to forget and yet is so important for us to remember as we follow Jesus. We should treat people the way we want to be treated. What I often see happen today, and I despise this, by the way, is that we see people who take on the mindset of, well, that's what they did to me, therefore I'm going to do it to someone else. I've seen it how people treat um, one another in school. I see how people treat one another in families. I see how we treat one another in a job situation. And all too often we think, well, they, these people weren't nice to me, so why do I have to be nice to these people? 
And the reality is, and and what I kind of point to and I want you to think about here today is because you know what it felt like to be done to you. You know what it feels like to be made fun of. You know what it feels like to be excluded. You know what it feels like to, to be unwanted or unimportant. You know what it feels like to be hurt by other people. And if you know what that feels like, Why, oh why, would you want someone else to feel that same way? Does that make sense at all? And yet our flesh and our sin, we we do that. We rationalize that in our brain and we say, well, well, that's what he did to me. So I'm just, as far as I can tell, I'm just getting him back. Or I'm just paying it forward. or, Or that's just the way things are. No, it's not. But we are called... To show justice. And at the very base of the justice that God is calling us to is the reality you know what it feels like to be mistreated. You know what injustice feels like. Don't move that forward. You have heard me say, over and over and over again, that the gospel did not come to you so that it would die with you. With injustice, it's the opposite. Undoubtedly, you will experience injustice in life. Undoubtedly, you will go through a season in life where somebody somewhere will treat you wrong. Let it die with you. And even when you face mistreatment, injustice, pain, and sorrow, do not pass that pain on to someone else, but give it to the Lord and show grace and forgiveness and love to others. As we move on in this, in this passage, the, the next question we want to really ask is, what is it actually telling us to do? So what is he really commanding us? What is God, through Moses, telling Israel today? And if you'll remember, the the focus has been primarily on the people who, during this time, were easy to take advantage of. And God is commanding this group to do the exact opposite of that. It is easy to take advantage of the, the immigrant and the widow and the orphan. And he says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the opposite of that. Instead of trying to take advantage of them, which is easy, I want you to make it so that they are provided for, that they are protected. And he gives three areas of life that he addresses this, and they're all, they're all agricultural because that's, that's who they were. And he's speaking into their life, and when they go into the promised land, they are going to live in places where they have farms and that they are going to grow their produce. <clears throat> and in the midst of all this, we see three areas first. He mentions the harvesting of fields. This would have been specifically wheat fields. He instructs them that as they harvest, to not go back a second time. We see elsewhere there is an encouragement to not make sure they got all corners. There is a, there is a, a, a temptation to be very thorough in your harvesting of your wheat. To make sure you got every last stalk, every last wheat head was in your possession. That you would, you would get, you know, in our day and age, we would say the fence line. 
that you would go through it once and then circle back and go through it again to make sure you got in everything, maybe even giving it a couple of days to see if something sprouted up that you missed the first time in order to get it. And he tells them not to do this. In fact, he he calls them specifically, leave it. He instructs Israel to not only that, but when they beat their olive bushes, which I had no idea that's how you collected olives. But when they would whack them and beat them and all, I'd assume they didn't uproot them and slam them on the ground, though that is what they did with wheat. That's why we get the word threshing. And they would shake, they would shake the olive trees, they would knock the olive trees, and that would cause all of the olives to fall out. But then he tells them again, once you're done doing that, don't go looking at the bush again. Don't go in there and start seeing what's left and what maybe you can pick by hand. Even going on, he, he goes to the, the grapevine and he says, go through and pick the grapes and, and go through the grapevines. But when you're done, you're done. And don't go through a second time to catch what you missed or what maybe was ripened late. The practice of taking the harvest and leaving the corners, the overlooked and those late to ripen, allowed for groups like the alien, the widow, and the orphan to go after the harvesters and gather enough to live off of. These were people for whatever reason, and and even in Israel in the promised land, they acknowledged that there would be those who who, uh, were poor and those that would struggle. Even they would be able to, to live and be provided for through what was left behind. It is true that it was the responsibility of that person, the immigrant, the widow, or the orphan, to go to the field and work. It wasn't that they told them to then go gather it and then just go leave it on their porch. They had to follow after them. They had to do the work. But this provision was built into life in the promised land so that no person would be left to starve. God wanted His love, His grace, and His mercy to be demonstrated by his people in everyday life. Now, this passage and the command of this passage is actually significant even on the historical level of the Bible because we actually see what God is commanding Israel to do in this passage lived out in the book of Ruth. In fact, the the book of Ruth says this. It says, Ruth... The Moabites, the Moabite asked Naomi, will you let me go into the field and gather fallen grain behind someone who I've, who, in whom I found favor? Naomi answered her and said, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Ruth was both an immigrant and a widow who was serving a widow, and we can see how God provided for both her and Naomi a hundred, hundreds of years after this statement was given to Israel. Now, what's exciting about this is there is more to the story, as we know about Ruth and Naomi. And I want you to think about this. God mentions in Deuteronomy what happens when Israel acts justly. If we look again at verse 19, we see these words. It says, do all of these things in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, here's an interesting thing about that line. See, that line is actually intended to be the main point of this whole command. Because you'll notice, if you'll notice that the the verse, it starts and ends with this statement about because you were slaves in Egypt and, and all that. 
And then you see in the midst of all that, the command of, of, of what to do with the harvest. And then in the midst, almost in the very center of this whole set of commands is the fact that God would bless them and all the work of their hands. Yahweh is telling Israel in the midst of all of these things that if they show compassion and justice to the least of these, then he will bless them and he will bless the work of their hands. Again, we can go to Ruth and see this very thing. <coughs> Picking up in Ruth chapter 4, I'm going to read, start in verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went with her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Skipping a few verses, it goes on to say, Then Naomi took the child and laid her on her lap, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the neighborhood women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And so they named him Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And I want you to think for just a moment. God commanded Israel to act justly in the promised land. He told them that if you act justly, it will be a blessing to you, and I will bless the work of your hands. Boaz, hundreds of years later, Boaz is obedient to this command and allows those to follow after him his field, even taking note of Ruth and saying, take extra good care of her. I thought this was particularly impressive given that this was during the time of the judges. And I don't know how well you know your church history or your, your Bible history, but Israel was not great about following the law during the time of the judges. And yet that is exactly what Boaz does. And his obedience ultimately introduced him to his wife and together they would become the great grandparents of King David and therefore part of the genealogy of Christ himself. God's word proves true in ways that sometimes we cannot even imagine. See, God told Israel, if you are obedient to these things, I will bless you. And I'm sure they thought good crops, good family, good livestock, safety from their enemies. But what God said, I will bless you. He said, because when you are obedient to this command, it is through being obedient to a command like this that I will bring about the Savior of the world. So, yeah. I'd say God blessed Israel. And he blessed us too, wouldn't you? This leads us to the final question of today, which is what does this mean for us now? God called Israel to establish and defend justice within the nation of Israel. Part of that justice was the care and the provision for the least of these in society. You know, it's interesting because the passage talks about the aliens and the orphans and the widows. So where am I getting this least of these statement? And that comes from actually Jesus' own mouth. See, this command to take care and to, to provide for the, the least of these, for the widows and the orphans and the, the immigrants uh, in their culture translates all the way into the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 25, as, as Jesus is, is, is explaining to his followers of what the judgment will look like, he has this to say. He said, then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. When we love love others, when we show compassion, when we act justly, it is as though we are doing it to Christ himself. And this means to the least of these in our society. This means to the immigrant, to the widow, to the orphan, to the poor, to the disenfranchised, to the overwhelmed, to the lost, and to those who are giving up hope. When we show love to them, it is though we are doing it to Christ himself. But what more is, it is when we show love and compassion, when we act justly towards all people at all times, it is the proof that we have been transformed by him. See, God was calling Israel to act totally different than how every other nation around them acted. And there was a reason for that. God called them to do that because he wanted the nations around them to know that their life had been shaped and molded and submitted fully to the God of all creation. And so too is it with us. See, when we act justly, show mercy, and are loving towards others, We show a world that is dying in sin that we have been transformed by Christ, that we belong to Christ, that we are being obedient to Christ. We love because he loved us first. We show justice and mercy because he was just and merciful to us first. And this love and this justice and this mercy becomes the evidence of His love to a world that desperately needs to experience it. If you are with us today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that this is the God we serve. The media will paint us a thousand different ways. And movies and all sorts of other things may tell you that being a follower of Jesus is this thing or it is that thing. But I want you to understand today that God is love, that he is merciful, and he is just. And he has called us to be that same thing, albeit we do it imperfectly. And God has exercised his just and his mercy most clearly through the cross of Calvary, where in his justice, The price of sin was paid by Christ on the cross. But in his mercy, forgiveness of that sin was extended to us who desperately need it. We invite you into a relationship with Jesus today. And that if you will believe that Jesus is the Christ and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. If you are with us today and you are a follower of Jesus, I challenge you today. Establish justice. 
do what is right even when no one is looking. Show mercy and compassion to even the least of these so that the name of Jesus will be proclaimed in all the nations for His glory. That may mean a change of attitude or a change of heart. That may mean a time of confession and a changing of direction. We extend that opportunity to you right here, right now. We know what it feels like to be mistreated. We know what it feels like to experience injustice. But let us be different. Let us be who God has called us to be. And instead of returning injustice for injustice, as Romans 12 says, instead of paying back evil for evil, let us overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that you've gotten me through this passage. Father God, everyone here has different life experiences. Every one of us here has experienced the fact that we live in a fallen world in different ways. But God, I pray that you would put a burden on our heart to be different. Lord, that you would call us to be just, to show mercy, and to be loving towards others. Lord, we know we are called to do this because that is exactly what you have done for us. And that when we rebelled against you and when we showed uh, injustice towards you and your law, God, you responded by showing us love and grace and mercy. And God, I pray that we as a church would seek to establish justice, to love even the least of these, to care and to provide, that we would do so so that your name would be glorified. God, if there's anyone here today who does not know you and does not have a relationship with you, and Lord, they want to have that relationship, God, I pray that today is the day that they talk to me, that they talk to someone they came with, but Lord, that they do not leave today without having a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would be able to experience the love and the grace and the justice of God even this day through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this time. And God, I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we might be more like you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.